So, have you been thinking about the most valued skill in volleyball? The skill that all great volleyballs have and are experts at. And they all can do it. No matter if they're libros, setters, pass headers, middles, whatever. That skill is reading the game. Oof, a little bit of a plot twist, baby. If y'all said serving or spiking, unlucky brother. Those are valuable skills that have a big impact on the game, but unfortunately, not the most valuable skill in volleyball. Let's break down what I mean by reading. If we split volleyball down into its simplest form of what is accomplished on court by players, there are three words that stick out that encapsulate it all. Read, plan, do. In a game of volleyball, players are reading the game, planning their actions and doing the movements. The reason I say reading is the most important is because that is what players do the most. With planning, following close behind and doing as a small part of the game. When I say doing, I mean the techniques players use, spiking, digging, blocking, etc. All those. The read, plan, do idea is not something that I just thought of and pulled out of my brain. It is something that is accepted by players and coaches that are considered the best in the world. Karch Karai, considered the greatest player of all time, and the USA women's head coach, winner of the Olympics 2021, John Kessels, the USA development of volleyball, Tom Black, a collegial coach of a successful college team and the assistant coach of the Olympic team. They're all volleyball coaches that are widely considered the best and most informed in the world. And they all accept and implement this idea of breaking down volleyball into read, plan, do. There was a study done with the USA women's volleyball team on how much players actually contact the ball in a game. That means passing, setting, spiking, etc. Out of two hours of gameplay, how long do you think each player touched the ball? How much contact time do you think, on average, each player actually gets? On average, each player only touched the ball in a two-hour game for less than five seconds. Whoa. Now, if we turn that into a percentage of the game, players touch the ball on a team collectively for less than 5% of the entire game. Whoa. What does this study tell us? Well, it tells us players are using their techniques for 5% of the game. But something I find much more interesting is they're not using them for 95% of the time. Okay, this is a lot of information. Let's have a little reflect as coaches and a little ponder before I go on. 
So for 95% of the time, players are not digging, they're not passing, they're not spiking. With this in mind, how is that going to change the way we coach? I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it before I share my ideas. This is what I get out of it. A framework on how to create a training session. First, let's reflect on how we were coached or on how we perceive coaches. We get to training and our coaches make us pepper and warm up. Then we dig to each other. Maybe the coach gets us in a line and spikes the ball at us individually to practice our digging. Maybe they get us into hitting lines to practice spiking. Out of reading, planning, and doing, what are we practicing? Hell yeah, that's right. Well, if you said we're practicing doing, you're 100% right. If not, that's all good, brother. In hitting lines, we're only practicing hitting. How many times do we hit in a game? That's right, less than 5%. So why are we practicing something that we will only ever do in a game 5% of the time? Less than 5% of the time, because that's accounting, serving, digging, and setting. Why? Because we're not using our big human brains, the developed evolution of what man and woman is. We're using that little 5% lizard brain that says, hell yeah, dude, these guys look sick. I used to love spiking lines. I'm going to let these guys do spiking lines. Let's do this forever. It feels so awesome. Now, as a result of using our lizard brain that loves action, your team looks terrifying in the warm-up of the game. They look so intimidating. They're bouncing balls. They're peppering like beasts. They're serving awesomely. Whoa, the other team, they're scared. And you can see it. You can see them thinking, oh God, oh God. Then as soon as the game starts, the team falls apart because they practice peppering and spiking lines, but never practice the most fundamental skills that take up 95% of our games. Reading and planning. Spiking lines don't practice reading and planning, so players won't get better at that. For our players to truly get better at volleyball, all 100% of it, we need them reading, planning, and doing. If we get our practice as close to what volleyball is, our players will practice playing volleyball. What I'm doing here is challenging the perception of what a coach does. I think we perceive a coach's main priority is to teach the techniques of the game. Now that's part of it, and yes, it's an important part, but how big is that part in the big picture? With the studies that we have done, 5%. 5%, that's how big it is. We need to make the most of every moment of our practice and really try to make all practice look like volleyball. Don't get your kids in, then warm them up by getting them to run around the court. That's precious time they could be practicing volleyball in some capacity. But we can't 
just get them playing volleyball straight out the gate. I get it. They don't know how to play. They also need to warm up in a healthy way. So how do we do that? It's all about transferable practice. Playing volleyball would be 100% transferable. Yeah? Running around an oval would transfer pretty much zilch. So we need to identify what is crucial to volleyball that will include effective transfer. Because it's all about transfer. Let's make a list of things that is needed to play a volleyball game. A volleyball, a court, a net, at least 12 players, a score, reading, planning, and doing, and communication. In my opinion, you can't play volleyball without these things. So by including them all, I believe we would get the most effective amount of transfer resulting in the kids learning the most. Now, having all these is a luxury as a coach. So I'm going to ask a question and allow you time to think about it. What do we do when we don't have all these things? My answer, we include what we can. I've seen some coaches not have a court, so they make their kids run laps. Like, what? What are you coaching, brother? Are you coaching long-distance runners or are you coaching volleyball? What volleyball are they learning by running laps? There are loads of things that a coach can organize so players are learning volleyball even without a court. So we need to take these into account and be creative with what we have with the players at the center of the focus. Now, a massive challenge that we will be running into as JTS coaches is that we have most of these things, but we also have an abundance of children. And how do we fit that into our games and drills and activities? That's something I'm going to touch on in a later episode. For now, let's do a simple exercise and let's pretend we're coaching a squad and plan to practice serving. You get to the gym and you get told you don't have a court to practice on. Oof, big bummer. That is a shocker. How could you adapt your training to still practice serving without a court? Sounds a bit tricky. Assuming we still have volleyballs, we could get players practicing serving against a wall. Is there transfer? Yeah, yeah, there is. Is there much? Not really. Now, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to think about how you could adapt this practice of serving at a wall to make it more transferable so our players are learning more. Here's what I think. 
How far away from the wall are the players serving? Is there a height target on the wall? Now you may be thinking why are these things important? I think they're important because there's a lot of things you can do with this information. We want our practice to be as close to volleyball as possible, right? So instead of allowing players to serve from anywhere, we could measure nine meters back. Why nine meters? Because that's the difference between the baseline and the net. Players are experienced serving the same distance as they would have to on a court. Now, is there a height target? Why is that important? If we put a marker on the wall at the same height as the net our players will be serving at, they have a target. And now they're experiencing practice at the same height of an in-game net. With these small adjustments, we're able to turn a bad situation of not having a court into a practice that has an acceptable amount of volleyball transfer. We went from hitting a ball against a wall to giving our players intentional and transferable experiences. I wonder like what else we could do to create this practice that would be more transferable for them. It's interesting to ponder. So to really bring it all together, what I'm asking for is to break free from what is normal. Break away from that tempting idea of practicing hitting lines or lining kids up in a line to practice digging. Get creative. Fight the urge to practice what your coaches made you practice. Are hitting lines fun? Hell yeah, they are. Are they getting our players better at volleyball? That's a hard no. Yes, you may see gains in your players by practicing these things, but if you continue to practice them, eventually they don't learn anything at all. Think about ways you can get your players to practice not only doing, but reading and planning, because that's literally 95% of the game. When your players beg you to do hitting lines or passing lines, it's tempting, and you almost feel like a bad person for denying their request. But we're looking long-term here. Our mission isn't to give an opportunity for these players to do whatever they'd like. It's to create a space where players are growing, learning, and exploring. Kids like spiking lines, but they also like eating McDonald's. And if they could, they would eat it every single meal without question. Just because they like it doesn't mean it's good for them in the long run. Reading, planning, and doing. These are the three things we need to think about when creating our training sessions. The other thing I really want you to think about is we get better at what we practice. I'm going to say that a lot because I love it and I love the idea. We get better at what we practice. If your kids are practicing running around the volleyball court, guess what they're going to get better at? That's right. They're not getting better at volleyball. They're getting better at running around a volleyball court. So when we all sort of start to reflect and say, yeah, hell yeah, okay, we, we're going we're gonna to teach them and coach them how to read and plan. 95% of the time they're doing that. But the first thing that comes to mind when thinking about that is how? 
How do we play volleyball if the players don't know how to dig, hit, or set? It's an interesting idea, and that leads into what we're going to discuss next time. How to balance reading, planning, and doing in a training session. The name of this concept is commonly referred to as blocked practice and random practice. Until then, I want you to think about how you could turn spiking lines, something that is done by nearly all coaches around everywhere, into something that transfers more than just the spiking technique. How could you create an activity of spiking lines that includes reading and planning? This is Challenging Education. I am Ardiki, and we are learners. I'll see you next time.